love the story. Man, I love stories. I don't know about you, but uh, movies, books. Uh, I'm not very good at watching TV shows because I feel like there's too much of a commitment there, you know? It's like 10 whole episodes. Uh, that's a lot. But, but a movie, I can be in on a movie. Sometimes a book, you know, if I decide to be one of those intellectuals who reads things, but uh, eh, not, not always. But man, a movie's perfect. It's a couple hours. You know, I love going to the theater, just hanging out, sitting down, sneaking in candy. I mean, but, you know, sneaking in snacks and everything. I remember one time I snuck in like a thing of ice cream, but I forgot a spoon. So I sheepishly went up to the front desk and was like, do you just have a spoon for unrelated reasons? And she looked at me and she was like, there you go, for unrelated reasons. Was, I got away with it. It was nice. But uh, I love going to a good movie. I love going to the, the theater and everything, sitting down. They got the sound system. Now they've got the super cool reclining seats. I don't know if you guys have been in those. It's so comfy. It's like, am I here for a movie or for a nap? You know, you just go see one of those dramas, I'll be out. It's perfect. It's a great nap time. But uh, I remember the first movie, like, I remember going to. I'm sure I went to other movies, but I was, like, three, so, like, I have no memory, no recollection. But the first movie I like remember going to, it was 2002, and my dad was really excited about it. He was like, son, we're going to go to this movie. I was like, okay, what is it? He's like, it's called Spider-Man. I don't know if anybody here remembers the 2002 OG Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. I was like, Spider-Man, I don't like spiders. And he's like, no, 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 you don't get it. So he goes into his room, he gets out from under his bed, he pulls out this big, long, and thin box. I'm like, I, I don't know where this is going. The, the box, it's in good shape, but it looks really old. And he takes the top off, and there's just a super long row of comic books. And he pulls out the comics, he's like, this is Spider-Man. And I was like, oh, this guy's pretty cool. And my dad was like, the movie, am I right? And I was like, okay. Okay, now I get it. Let's go see this movie. Let's go see Spider-Man. I was all excited. My dad, you know, read Spider-Man when he was a kid, so he was really excited to see a good superhero movie. You know, kind of, that one kind of helped start the superhero movie thing. It's one of the OG superhero movies. Uh, so, so we're excited. We're going, and we see, you know, Peter Parker gets bit by the spider, and I'm like, I don't like that part, but he gets the powers, and I'm like, oh, I like that part, that's pretty cool, you know, he doesn't need glasses anymore, he's beating up the school bully and everything, he, like, goes to get in a wrestling match to win money to buy a car, and I mean, I, I was seven, so that part was kind of going over my head, but I was like, cool, he's a spider, he climbs things, I like that, let's, let's just stick with that, that's easy, I can comprehend that. And then he, he's going to meet his Uncle Ben, this guy who's like the father figure, this old kind man who, you know, Peter Parker's, Spider-Man's parents like die or something when he's young. So he's grown up with his aunt and his uncle. And, and he's going to meet his uncle and his uncle has been shot and he's dying. And so Spider-Man's crying. His uncle is just giving his final words. And I am a mess Seven-year-old Zach is crying in the movie theater like, Dad, why did you do this to me? Why are we here? This is terrible. You know, and then Uncle Ben says the famous Spider-Man line that if you know anything about Spider-Man, you've probably heard, with great power comes great responsibility. You know, and then the rest of the movie is him using his powers to fight bad guys and save people from a fire, you know, and do this good stuff to use his power for good. And, you know, I can remember it all these years later, and just something about a story just can give meaning 
to something, you know, something ordinary, something that's like a cliched line, something that's like, you know, if you, if you have a lot of ability, you should use that responsibly, that just idea, but then it comes to life through a story. A story gives it and imbues it with so much extra meaning, with resonance, it emotionally registers with you. A story can be an amazing thing. And so while we're in this series, we're going through all of the stories that Jesus used to preach the gospel, to preach his word. And it's a great opportunity for us to look at, well, why did Jesus use these stories? And what do these stories mean? They can give us more meaning. They can help us understand and relate to them more than him just saying the words because we can see the effects and we can feel it and we can understand it. The the one problem is 2,000 years have passed. So some of the stories are a little bit weird or we may not connect to as much. We may not understand quite as much. And and one of the stories we're talking about today, that the parable of the soils is what we're going through, kind of fits into that. Because I don't know about you, but I'm not a farmer. My wife does a bit of gardening, and I'm just like, I don't really get it, but okay. But like, not a whole lot of farming going on for us, right? Whereas in this parable that Jesus has, with a little bit of some farming, a little bit of agriculture, this was an agrarian society. And so it just connected with all the people. And they must have liked it because we see, we're, we're in Matthew chapter 13 for this one. This, this parable is told in two different parts. It's told in Luke, it's told in Matthew. We're doing the Matthew version. And we see at the beginning of chapter 13, it says, on that day, Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. He's sitting by the Sea of Galilee here. And a great multitudes gathered to him so that he got into a boat and sat down and the whole multitude was standing on the beach. So Jesus, you know, gets pushed out. He doesn't have a fancy PA speaker system like we have, you know, that Jesse was talking about. Their speaker system was, uh, talk over the water and the water will amplify it maybe or sciency or something like that. You know, and they also didn't have movie theaters. So I guess that their version of fun was they were like, well, we could watch the crops grow or we could go stand on the beach and listen to Jesus. How are you feeling today? You know, it's not a whole lot of entertainment options. And so, uh, unsurprisingly, a bunch of people come to listen to him talk. You know, a bunch of farmers or people who know farmers. Again, it's an agrarian society come. And as he's speaking, he says this in verse 3. Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road. And the birds came and ate them up. Others fell upon the rocky places where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched and because they had no root, they they withered away. Others fell among the thorns and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some 60 and some 30. He who has ears, let him hear. And he just kind of goes on. And, you know, the other parables we've talked about are like, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like a pearl. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. And you're like, okay, the kingdom of heaven. And they're just like, guy went out to sow. All right? Seeds, the seeds fell places. Okay? Based on where they fell, stuff happened. And some grew. And I'm sure these farmers were like, okay. Is, is that all this is? We're just talking about some, some farming advice? Like, Jesus, when I go out and sow, I don't throw it on the path. I don't throw it on the road. When I go out and sow, I make sure the rocks are cleared from my soil. I make sure there aren't any weeds. We make sure it's all good. Like, wh- what are we talking about here, Jesus? I came to watch you on a boat for this. 
What's going on here? And it just kind of like, that's it. I'm sure at least one guy was like, hey, Jesus, why don't you stick to that carpentry? I'll stick to the farming. You like that for a deal? You like that one? Is that okay? <laughs> you know, stick with your table. Stick with your chairs. I'll, I'll make the stuff grow. It's just kind of weird that he, he just, he says this, and then he just moves on. As he's speaking, that's all we get. We don't get, well, this is the kingdom of heaven, or this is God, or this is the evil one, or this is what you should experience. It's just, this is stuff that's growing. Now, later, thankfully, you know, we got the whole story, which is kind of an advantage, you know. We've got all the spoilers and all that kind of stuff because we're 2,000 years later. And later, he starts to explain it. You know, he says, hear the parable of the sower in verse 18. It's like, all right, so now we get to understand what he's actually talking about. He says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. So it's an allegory. It's an analogy. It does have, he's not just talking about some weird farming and then just moving on while he's talking on about, he's talking about the seed. He's talking about the word. He's talking about the kingdom and how it spreads. And he is comparing how soil receives the word to how people receive it. That's the first one, the one that is snatched away because they do not understand it. Understand, what does this understand word mean? We see here, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand. Now, when we hear that word, we usually think intellectually, right? Like you're in math class and the teacher's like, well, eventually it'll click. And you're like, hasn't clicked yet. Next day, still ain't clicked. Next week, it still hasn't clicked. And now there's a test. What am I supposed to do? That's not the kind of understanding we're talking about. The kind of understand Jesus is talking about is like when Jesse was up here, he talked about how the chosen is an artistic vision, right? And when you see something that's art, you don't try to like mathematically, I mean, I hope not. I hope you don't try to mathematically comprehend it, right? Because then I think you're kind of missing the point of the art. When you see art, it kind of hits you in a certain way. Whether it be a story or a movie, whether it be a poem, it could be a painting or a photograph, it could be a multitude of different avenues of art, but art is about experiencing it, understanding it, not on an intellectual level, but on a personal, on an emotional, on a spiritual level, on that different level, correct? That is the understand we're talking about. We're not saying, well, the kingdom of God comes along, the word comes along, and some people just can't understand it. They're not smart enough, so they're out of luck. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about those who can't understand it within themselves. Emotionally and spiritually, it doesn't make sense. Maybe they outright reject it. Could be any of these things, but it's not there. It doesn't even get into the soil. It just sits there and it's snatched away, right? Now, here's the deal. Most of those people aren't here, right? Because if you're pretty apathetic towards the word of God, you're probably not at church on Sunday morning. You're probably not streaming it, whether live or later, if that's what you're doing. So, you know, don't have to worry about this one as much, right? Now, if you are listening to it so you can ignore it, it's a weird thing. Maybe we can talk later about your preferences. But, you know, my, my guess is that these people just aren't really listening. So let's move on to the next group of people. Who is the next group? In verse 20, it says, and the one on whom seed was sown 
on the rocky places. This is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Now, I know I'm a little bit different than the verses up here. Uh, that's because... The, the Bible here's a little older, <laughs> and uh, we, we pull these from online. So there's a little bit different words. But the point of this is that the seed that falls on rocky soil or ground is someone who hears the word. They receive it with joy. They are excited. It springs up right away. But then what happens? Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. They have no root. They last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes, they fall away because they are shallow. Now again, just like the, the, the path, the road soil, probably not a lot of those people listening. I've got some friends out there. I know a good amount of you. I don't think shallow is a good word to describe any of you. I don't think anybody out there would be like, you know what, Zach? I am a very shallow person. So I think we can kind of move past this one too. We don't really need to worry about this one. So, so what is the third group then? And, and the next set of verses, we talk about the thorns, not only the thorns, kind of like the weeds, thorns and weeds. And what are these people like? What are the thorns? Verse 22, and the one on whom seed was sown among thorns, this is the person who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. The worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word. If you haven't seen it yet, the seed that is sown, that is the word. In John chapter one, it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The word we are talking about is Christ. It is the gospel. That is what is sown. That is what is sown on the path. That is what is sown on the rocks. That is what is sown among the thorns. And what happens? It takes root. It starts to grow. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth. What do those do? They choke it. Anyone ever seen weeds out in their lawn or weeds in their garden or anything? And what happens to the, to the plants that you actually like, like the grass or your garden stuff? What happens to that that's close to weeds? It's not growing because it's the nutrients are sucked away. It is being choked out just like it is with the word. But just like I don't think many of you are shallow, none of you seem really like weedy, thorny people to me. Maybe a little salty, maybe a little sarcastic, but I don't know if I'd call any of you outright thorny. So I think we should just go on to the last one because that's got, if we've gone, there are four categories and three of them don't work, there's only really one left, right? And that is the good soil. In verse 23, and the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some 60 and some 30. All right, the good soil. Now look, you're here on a Sunday, you're getting involved, you're hearing the word. Well, you're hearing the word. Say you're understanding it. You're here on a Sunday. Maybe you're listening online or whatever. That's some pretty good stuff. Here's some good soil. Some good soil in this room. Am I right? Yeah. This is the one who produces a crop. That's how you know what good soil is. How do you differentiate the good soil from the bad soil? It's the crop. Got a buddy named Josh. Um, he started a new job here maybe a year ago. 
Uh, and he was talking to me. Uh, he's a pretty extroverted guy, gets along with people well, makes friends pretty quickly. And he's pretty, he's upfront about who he is. You know, he, he's a believer. He's a follower of Christ. And so about a year ago, he told me, he's like, hey, I started this new job. I've got a friend. I've got a coworker. Just call him Alan. And he's telling me that, you know, this guy, this, this, guy, his, this coworker, Alan, he's kind of started becoming friends with him. And he is a guy who said he went to church when he was younger, but kind of as he grew older, he kind of realized that Jesus wasn't real. And so he's an atheist now. And he's like, you know, this guy, he, he's, he's kind of like, he, he's willing to talk to me about this stuff. He's like, what do I do? And I was like, just keep talking to him, man. Be a friend, be good to him, you know, care about him as you would, treat him as a friend and just keep bringing this up if he's willing to talk about it. Uh, then a couple months went by and Josh is talking to me. He's like, well, Alan showed me this kind of weird documentary that talks about how all these reasons why Jesus can't be real. And I was like, well, the documentary has to have good sourcing and this does not have good sourcing. But, <laughs> but regardless, like, just keep talking. It's not about debunking what he thinks. It's not about proving him wrong or arguing with him. It's just about showing him who Jesus is. Keep working with him. Keep talking to him about it when, whenever he'll listen. Uh, and then recently Josh told me that about a month ago, Alan ended up in the hospital. He had a medical emergency to go to the hospital. Uh, and while he was there, Josh is like, I went to visit him. I went to visit him in a hospital room, which I'm just like, that's an awesome thing, man. You know, hospitals suck. <laughs> and if you're in the hospital and you've had an emergency and you're lying in a hospital bed, I, I can't imagine something better than having somebody come to visit you. Come, somebody come to talk to you. Someone who's like, hey, I'm going to be here. I'm going to be your friend. And I'm going to hang out with you and just make sure you're doing okay. So, you know, Alan is lying in this hospital bed. He's talking to Josh and he's just saying, man, what happened to my life? Stuff is going awful. Life just kind of sucks right now. Now I'm in the hospital. Just what is going on with me? And Josh told me, he said, I looked at him and I said, just straight out, I said, you need Jesus. Like, that's all I had to say. He's like, and this time Alan heard it and he was receptive. He said, okay, let's pray. Let's pray to God. Can you show me how to do that? And so Josh led him through prayer and, and Alan was like, I don't know what I felt, but I felt something. You know, and, and from our conversations, Josh has told me that Alan, he, he doesn't fully grasp Jesus yet. He doesn't fully know him or understand him, doesn't fully believe in him yet, but he believes he knows there's a God now. And, and Josh is working with him and, and like, hey, read this scripture. Let's go to lunch and let's talk about this. You know, read through Luke and Romans and, and all this stuff. Try to discover it. Try to learn it. Understand it for yourself. And he is. And Alan is going through it and learning and discovering more and more. That is what a crop is. When Jesus says a hundredfold or 60 or 30, that is exactly what he is talking about. Sometimes you'll hear a message on this and they'll say, well, the, the crop in your life is, it's really, you know, you'll, you'll be, have more self-control, the fruits of the spirit. You'll feel more at peace. You'll feel like you're a better person. And that is not a crop. That is good. I hope you're healed. I hope the fruits of the spirit come out in your life. That's good stuff. That's not a crop. A crop is when others around you are coming to God and you have an opportunity. You get the privilege of being involved in that. That's a crop. A crop is when you are discipling somebody. Like now that Alan believes that there's a God and he's trying to figure it out, Josh is working with him. Hey, read this scripture. Let's talk about this passage. Are you praying? That's discipleship and that's a crop. And there's the list of crops. Evangelism and discipleship. If you notice, that is a short list. 
It's not about how you feel about your life. It's not if you feel like you're a better person or you feel healed or you feel like you're doing better. It's not about those things. It's not about you. It's about how you are spreading the kingdom of the Lord. That is what makes you good soil. And if you notice, I kind of rushed through the other categories. I did that on purpose because most of us think we're good soil. But the fact of the matter is in America, you're probably not. In America, 70, 80% of people say they're Christians. But what was Jesse just up here saying? Maybe 10% are involved in church? That's a big gap. I'm a little bit of a math person. I can tell you statistically, that is a large large difference. (laughs) That's the technical term for it, right? There's a large difference in there. There's a lot of people in that group who think they're good soil, but they aren't. Have you had a crop recently in your life? Have you done what Josh did and help, help be a part of leading somebody to Christ? Yeah, it's Jesus who does the work. It's Jesus who changes hearts, but he'll use you. Has he used you for that recently? Are you currently involved in discipleship? Discipling somebody or being discipled yourself? Those are the two. That's the list right there. If you are not on that list, you are not good soil. So which one are you? If you're not good soil, you're one of the other three. Because like I said, there's four categories. And if we take out the good soil, there are now three categories. And none of them were the good soil. Let's walk backwards. What was it? Verse 22? With the thorny soil, with the weeds? Is that the one you are? And let's be real. I'm going to jump ahead just for a minute. Rocky soil, persecution, being scorched. Look, I understand we can talk about persecution in America. There are troubles that you have from the faith. If, if the persecution in America is wrecking you, that's like a plant that can't withstand a 70-degree day. There's places all over the world where Christians are imprisoned, they are tortured, they are executed. In America, people might say mean things about us on Twitter. That's, look... Maybe, look, and, and look, I, I don't want to invalidate what you've been through. So maybe because of your belief in God, you have dealt with family problems. You have had friends who've turned their back on you. I, look, that is persecution and that is difficult. And I'm not going to lie and say that's not. Also, you haven't been thrown in jail. I think there were years ago, I remember there was some Facebook thing because there was some pastor from America who went over and got arrested in Iran for preaching. How do you think being a Christian goes in North Korea or China? Not well. So if we're talking, just jumping ahead a little bit, giving you a little preview on the rocky soil. If you're not shallow enough to understand the 70 degree day in America on persecution, it's really, really shallow. But let's talk about the thorns first. And this, this is the biggest group of Christians in America is the thorns. Pull up verse 22 for us because that's what talks about the weeds of life, the thorns. And what does it say? The anxieties, the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word. Do you let your career, do you let family drama, do you let not having enough time to serve, not having enough money to tithe at all, the deceitfulness of wealth, the need to have more money. Do you let that choke you right now? Let me me ask you a question. If you're a Christian, if you say that you, or if you would proclaim to me, Zach, I am a follower of Christ. How often 
How many times a day are you intimately praying to God? And look, I know people who pray before every meal. That's good. I'm not going to rag on that. I'm not going to say that's bad. Keep doing it. Also, that's not a deep, intimate prayer to God. Unless your food's cold. If it's hot and then it's cold by the time you're done praying, that can be a deep, intimate prayer. But unless it's getting cold, unless you need to microwave it or whatever, that's not a deep, intimate prayer. That's not where you're talking to God about what's happening in your life. That's not where you're talking to God about who he is and trying to learn how he acts in this world, how he moves and what he wants from you. A deep, intimate prayer takes time. Are you taking that time at least every day? Are you reading the scripture every day? Are you having a time every morning or midday or night where you have a sectioned off time where you're like, this time I'm going to spend with God? Because if you're not, because you have other stuff going on, if you can't join a small group or if you can't be part of discipleship at Foothills or any other church, maybe you live somewhere else and you're listening to this, get involved in discipleship at a local church. And when I say discipleship, I don't mean small groups. Small groups and discipleship are both great. They're also different. I have a small group with a bunch of friends. We have become great friends through it. We have a ton of fun. It is a great time. I love going to small group. Also, we get off task a little bit. <laughs> We, we tend to hang out sometimes. There's one person in our small group who loves to cook for us. And let me tell you, when she cooks, it's delicious. And we just kind of all just eat a bunch of go into a food coma. There's not a lot of Jesus talk going on those nights. But we are having a good time. We are fellowshipping and we have helped each other with things. That. that is a great thing from a small group. It's also not discipleship. Discipleship is a continued commitment and discipline of meeting with somebody to go over the inner depths of your life and talk about where you're holding back from Jesus. If you don't have time for that, if you're worried about it, if you're scared of it, the anxieties, the worries of this life might be choking you out. If you're not making time for God every day, you're getting choked out a little bit. If you're not good soil, or you're one of these three, is that you? The thorns, the weeds choking you? Are you too worried about other things? Is God not your priority? How about the rocky soil? It's shallow. So when trouble or persecution comes, you get scorched. If you're a Christian, if you say that you're a follower of Christ, even if you're just somebody who's looking, have you read one of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John? Have you read all the way through it? Have you read the book of Acts, which is the acts of the apostles from the Holy Spirit when it comes down? Have you read the book of Romans because it is the theological treatise of Paul? Have you read those? No? Mm, sounds a little shallow. Do you know some apologetics? In 1 Peter 3.15, Peter says, all Christians, all of you should be able to defend your faith in a way that is gracious and compassionate. For everyone here who has faith in Jesus, if somebody walked in, if, if enough people walked in off the street, so there was one, we had a one-to-one -one ratio, and somebody asked you, tell me, defend your faith with grace and compassion. Could you do that? Do you know some apologetics? Do you know some theology? Do you know some church history? Yeah, I'm making a big list. Roots need to be deep. You don't need to have all that right away, but if you're shallow, you need to start. So I'm serious when I say, have you read one of the gospels? At least one, if not all four, because you really should read all four. You really should make it the entire way through the Bible. Some people do it in a year. That's pretty quick. Maybe you can't do it in a year. Yeah, but maybe you should start. Because if you haven't read through the whole Bible, it is literally the word of God. I'm not sure what else you're spending your time doing, but this thing's pretty important right here. And if you're going to tell me, well, it's not as important enough, maybe you're being choked out. My point is there are four categories. And if you're not good soil, you're in one of these other three. 
And I just told you that good soil is having a crop. And if you haven't had a crop, you are not good soil. I am not saying this, just like Jesse, I'm not saying this to guilt trip you or to shame you or to make you upset. I'm saying this because if you think you're good soil and you are not, the devil's got you. He's got you. He's got you right where he wants you because you're bad soil and you think you're doing a great job. But really, you're missing all of it. What did Ashley say when she was up here about worship? We say these words, not as a performance when people are up here, but because we are saying it to God. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Come flood this place, fill the atmosphere. Is he doing that in your life? Are you feeling the healing and the power of God? Because if you're not, you might not be good soil. That is right there for every single one of you. But so many of us are bad soil and we lie to ourselves about it. Let's do the last one. The last one about the hard, rocky soil. True, hard, rocky soil. People who don't even, who don't understand it, who won't even let it into their lights at all. It doesn't even go into the ground. Most of them are probably never going to listen to this. But what if life has hardened you? What if you've heard the word? You have been sown with the seed and you just can't comprehend it because of what has happened to you through things like real trauma, real evil that you have experienced. Again, we're affluent here, so that is a smaller here than it is in other cultures, but it still exists. You might need some extra work. You may need to talk to the staff here. We've got great staff. We've got three pastors, and we have people who've done counseling for years. You may need that. You know, when soil's that hard, when it's that compact like a road, what do you got to do to make it good? Well, you got to till it. You got to aerate it. You've got to work it. You've got to get all the rocks out. You've got to pull out all the weeds, and then you've got to dump a bunch of fertilizer, which is what? Manure. And it sucks. It does, right? That's not a fun process to go through as a person. But if you are at the point where life has hardened you enough that you need that, then you need it. Then you're not good soil. You can become it, but it's going to take some work. And the work is right there. Like I said, the staff here is awesome and they are amazing. And if you show up, I don't mean just show up once. I don't mean just send an email and then be like, oh, I didn't really follow up with the email. I mean, if you legitimately want that, then they are here and they will get you there. They will work with you and God will work in your life to make you good soil. But you have to put that work in. Are you good soil? The answer is yes or no. There's no in between. There's no fifth category here. There are four categories. Only one of them is the good soil. And if you're not good soil, you need to become it. You need to do some work to get there. The work you need to do you know how I said, have you read Acts earlier? There's something in Acts. It's something that starts in the Gospels. It continues through Acts. It's something that we've had for thousands of years. If you read the New Testament, you see a little bit of it, you know? Maybe for some reason, not to be shallow. You see this process in this system that Jesus started that has gone on for 2,000 years at this point to make people good soil. And that is called discipleship. Who did Jesus have? He had his three men, Peter, James, and John, that were his inner circle. And then he had the disciples, the rest of the apostles, right? Who He was 11 for 12. Not even he had that 100% perfect hit rate. He was 11 for 12, but he had those guys and he geared them up for three years. And then he recruits an Acts. We see it. He recruits Paul, the apostle Paul, writes most of the New Testament. Paul goes around. The apostles go around. They start churches. They disciple others. One of these men is named Timothy, First and Second Timothy. And what happens with Timothy? He is discipled by Paul. Paul, who was discipled by Jesus. So see how this string goes on? And then Timothy becomes a pastor. And what does he do? He disciples others. It is a never-ending chain. It is a chain that goes back to God himself. And it is a chain that we are continuing here at Foothills. 
We have a couple discipleship groups, groups of people that get together to, and like I said, small group discipleship are different. I love my small group. I also have a discipleship thing. I do it one-on-one. Sometimes it's one-on-one. Sometimes it's with groups. But it is a commitment. It's like going to the gym. It is a commitment that you do. And in my small group, sometimes people can't make it. It's no big deal. It's fine. Discipleship, you're there. It's once a week for me and my friend to go through it. Other groups do once a week. Other groups do different things. My point is that it is a commitment with continual training that is real, that is in-depth, where you will learn apologetics and theology. You will talk deeply, intimately about your prayer life. What are you praying about? What are your prayers like? What do you feel about prayer? What do you not know about prayer? You will talk, you will memorize scripture. You will dive deep into the Bible. In my small group, we'll do topical studies. We'll do different kinds of studies, and it's great. In my discipleship group, we read the scripture. We have homework. And then we go through it, and we talk exactly what it's about it. I'm on a site called Bible Hub a lot because it has all these commentaries, and then it has original language, like analysis. That's discipleship. And it's right there for every one of you because our church engages in it. Can you put Steve and Doug's emails up? They're pretty simple, but I wanted to have them up on the, on the slides just so you can see them. If you are not involved in discipleship and you want to be a good soil, then become involved. Email Steve at Foothills or Doug at Foothills. I tell them about this. I sold them out. I was like, your inboxes are going to blow up. Hopefully, it'll pop up on there. We have a slide for it, so it should. But Steve at Foothills or Doug at foothills.org. There they are. Email one or both, not neither. Email one or both of them. Get involved in discipleship, whether you're a man, whether you're a woman. I don't care. We have discipleship for all groups. There are groups. There's one-on-one. Whatever it is you need, we will equip you, but you need to show up. And if you lie to yourself and you tell yourself you're good soil, when you're really bad, you're never going to become good. At the end of the day, I don't know what kind of soil you are. I don't know what it is you're doing. I don't know what your recent crop has been, whether it's been a hundredfold or if it's been zero. I don't know. But you probably have a good idea about it, and God knows 100%. So figure it out. Which kind of soil are you? And if you're good soil, then email them because you need to step up. You need to make sure you're discipling. You need to make sure you're evangelizing. And yeah, you have enough time for it because it's the most important thing there is. And if you are not good soil, then again, email them because it is critically important that you become good, that the word of God explodes into a beautiful, amazing crop in your life because that's when you get that peace. That's when you get that self-control. That stuff comes after you step up and you become part of discipleship. So email them and make sure that you are becoming the best soil you can possibly be. Let's stand for closing prayer. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to know you and be loved by you. We ask that you will work within us, that you will use your ancient technique of building us up into your followers so that we can truly become yours. Amen.